please follow along with me in 1 John. In 1 John, we're going to be in chapter 2. John the Apostle was one of the men who was first to follow Jesus. He was... Uh, he and another man came up to Jesus and said, hey, where are you staying? And he says, come and see. So that's where the 12 got going. They started with John, and I believe it was Andrew or Philip. No, it was Andrew. Uh, that was Peter's brother. Uh, they, they saw Jesus. They heard John the Baptist talk about Jesus, and they looked, and they followed him, and they said, where are you staying? We'd like to find out who you are. And he says, come and see. And I think that that invitation continues with Jesus Christ today. And it always will continue until the end of, of this age and the end of this world when it will all be finalized. There's an invitation to anyone to come and see. Come and check out who he is, what he is. Find out who God really is. Find, find out what he's really like. Not, one, well, not what everybody says he's like. Just come and see. Come and see Jesus. Come and find out what he says about God and shows to you about God. You will be surprised because you hear a lot of people talk about God. There's a lot of superstition and even heresy concerning who God is, what he is. It started in the Garden of Eden when Lucifer himself cast doubt upon the intent and the motivations of God into the minds of Adam and Eve. He's really good at that, making us think other um, thoughts about God than we should instead of trusting him and believing that he has all the best in mind for people. And that battle has never ended, and it won't end until Jesus returns. Do you trust God? Do you believe he is? Do you believe that he is good and that he is not evil? Do you believe that God is loving and kind and gentle and merciful and forgiving? Do you believe that God is going to make all things new, that God is going to reconcile and is reconciling all things? He may not see all of the details right now, but he's in the process of doing so. As I shared with you last week or the week before, that the answer to evil on, in the world is Jesus on the cross. When you look at evil in the world, you wonder what's God doing. When people say, where is this God? Why doesn't he do something? The one, if you will, sign that is the most telling of all is that he has addressed evil in the world. His son on the cross is the answer to it if we would care to avail ourselves to it. The thing is, it's, it's counterintuitive to human um, thinking because we think that we would do it better. We think that we would know what to do better about evil and, and uh, the, all of the mayhem in the world. But God has done it through Jesus Christ, and it may seem like, well, that's just old hat. We need something different, something new. We're in a new age. We're in a new time. And um, there stands the cross. The pivot point of all eternity. There stands the cross. And when you and I are on the other side of this life and we are in eternity where God is, you will see that the cross was the pivot point. Because John the Apostle, when he writes Revelation after he writes 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he also wrote the Gospel of John. In Revelation, he says, I saw in the center of the throne a lamb as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne. So what do you see when you go to eternity? The answer to evil and death and mayhem and destruction and confusion. It's the cross. So, but that doesn't sound right. It sounds like it should be something more. Why doesn't he do this or do that? We're like Job. In the book of Job, God had to come and tell Job, uh, where were you when I made the stars and 
where were you when I made the planet? Where were you when I did this, do that? I didn't know I had to ask permission or ask your counsel. You know better than God what to do. Obviously, we need to humble ourselves a little bit more and say, okay, God, here's, here's the crux. It's funny because the word crux is the same word cross, cruce. Here's the crux of the thing. In order to get to a right position with God, you have to actually admit that you need what he has done. And that's a real difficult proposition for human beings because we like to think that we can figure it out without his help. And I'm here to tell you, like anyone else who's ever come to a place of finally realizing that they need help from outside of themselves, that that is the answer. You're in the middle of an ocean sinking and drowning, and if you don't take the life preserver, it's going to be on you. He offers you salvation through Christ on the cross. You can have it if you want it, but he won't force you to it. You have to take it. Now, the word of life allows us to function. When we went through 1 John, we hear John the Apostle, personal friend of Jesus Christ, accompanied Jesus Christ all the way to the cross, took his mother, his, his mother, Jesus' mother, took Mary into his house to care for her until she passed into eternity. John the Apostle was very close to Jesus in many respects. He was one of the three of the twelve who went with Jesus to a mountain, and Jesus was revealed as he really is. Um, he saw Jesus also in the book of Revelation as he really is. He saw him on earth when he was human being, veiled, his glory veiled as a human, humble, just a, a little Jewish man. And he found out that God and, and, and Jesus were way different than what any human being thought they ought to be like. Jesus so didn't fit into the boxes that everybody had constructed about what the Messiah should be, that when Jesus, the real Jesus, appeared on earth, the leadership of the, the spiritual leadership of Israel rejected him outright. Says, nope, no way. Can't be the Messiah. No, you don't even look like a Messiah, man. I mean, he, he probably looked very average. The Bible says he had no comely form that we should be attracted unto him. He would melt into a crowd and you couldn't find him because he looked like everybody else. So there was nothing about him that was special on the outside. It's what's on the inside. And that's what life really is about. We make judgments about what we see on the outside of people. And we make mistake in that because God told um, Samuel the prophet, man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. You and I need to start looking at the heart. We need to start looking on the inside, and we need to start looking at God himself, not what somebody else tells us about God, not even me as a preacher up here. I'm just simply serving, I think, and I hope, as a, a man pointing to him. Like John the Baptist said, I'm not the Christ, but I'm telling you about him. He's coming. He's behind me. I can't untie his sandals. That's all I'm doing. I'm just trying to encourage you to get to know him. I am not the answer to it all. No preacher is. No teacher is. There's only one true rabbi, one true father in heaven, and that's the eternal God. And you need to get to know him, and you can. Now, this word of life that allows us in this new covenant to function is just... Like in the Old Covenant, there was a function, meaning it worked. It says of John the Baptist's parents that they kept the law without fault. What does that mean? That they were perfect? They didn't sin? They didn't make mistakes? No, it doesn't mean that. That they kept the list of rules, religious rules, perfectly? Not at all. Because the law, the Old Covenant, had provisions for when you failed. 
So that means that anyone who is identified in Scripture as somebody who kept the law, that means that they said, uh-oh, I messed up today. Got to go get a lamb, put it on my shoulder, walk to the temple, give it to the priest, priest sacrifice it. So there was a way for them to function in that old covenant. In the new covenant, which is the eternal covenant, Jesus said this is the new and eternal covenant. Remember when he broke bread? This is the new and eternal covenant and the blood that is shed for the remission of sin. So in this new covenant, there is a functioning too. You and I can actually function in it. We don't have to take a lamb on our shoulders and run to the, to the church and offer a sacrifice every time we mess up because now the sacrifice for sin has been done and it has been done once and for all. It cannot be repeated by anyone or any church. What Jesus did on the cross is sufficient for any human being to have their sin dealt with. This is the message we have heard from the beginning, from him, and declare to you that God is light, in him is no darkness at all. Now that flies in the face of today's um, skepticism of God, cynicism of him as if, where is this God that is the God of love, the, the God of the Bible that people made up? Yeah, we don't believe in this God. If there's really a God of love, why is he letting all this bad stuff in this world happen? Why is there so much evil? Why is there so much... Uh, bad and you know hurricanes and tornadoes and death and and people are critical of the existence of God by virtue of what they observe when they look out but John the apostle says this is what we heard and this is what we're declaring to you there is no evil or darkness in God yes there's evil in this world that we live in but just because there's evil in this world doesn't mean that God therefore is infected with that too because what we found out about God we me John and, and Peter and James and etc. we found out that God is a God with no sin. And that is, for us, impossible to conceive of. All of the ancient history of mankind creates their gods with the same kind of foibles and faults that we have. The Romans' gods were like Jupiter. He would just lose his temper and throw lightning bolts at people. Or, or the Greeks had gods that were the same way. I mean, people had their magnifications of what they thought God was. And they're basically projecting their failure and their sin onto their creation of God. That's why the Bible says, Thou shalt have no other God before me. He gives no human being the right to construct God because you can't. God is other than us. He is greater than us. He says in the Old Testament, I am not a man. I am higher than you. My ways are higher than you. He is creator. He is beyond any concept that you can even get your head around. He is a being that is so glorious that the Bible pictures him in the Old Testament as someone that you couldn't even approach. Moses, one of the people that most people would look at as one of the big guys in the Bible, he wanted to see God face to face, and God told him, you can't see me. If you see me, if you try to see me the way I really am, you'll die. My glory and the being that I am will consume you. So he says, but I'll let you see my backsides. I'll go by you and my glory will be declared in front of me. And then I'll cover you with my hand in the cleft of the rock. And when I go by, I'll take my hand off and you will see the backside of my glory. And Moses got to see that only. But John the apostle and the other apostles in the gospel of John, he wrote, the Gospel of John, there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John is a little bit different than all of the others, but in his Gospel, in John chapter 1, he said, We beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only, begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He says that we saw what Moses couldn't see, 
And what we saw when we encountered this Jesus was that God is nothing like what humans think he is. He's loving, he's kind, he's glorious, he's amazing, he's all-powerful, but he's forgiving, he's gentle, he's reconciling, he's inviting. That's what he's like. So he starts saying here in the epistle of 1 John, he's already an older man, he's already encountered Jesus Christ, he's already seen him die on the cross, be buried, risen again, ascend into heaven. He saw the church get born, he saw people get born again. Now he writes and he says, okay, this is what I want to tell you. He's an older man when he writes First and Second and Third John. And eventually he writes the book of Revelation from a place, a penal colony where he was being persecuted and eventually martyred for being a follower of Jesus. But he says, this is what we found out about him. There's no darkness in him. There's no darkness in him at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, but walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. You can't say, I believe in God, but I think God's made some mistakes. Somebody told me that this week. I think he's made a big mistake. He made us. And I'm, I'm thinking, like, if, if we're a mistake and if God made mistakes, then we're all in a lot of trouble. Because if there's no one with an answer, then, then nobody has an answer. If God doesn't have an answer, then we're lost. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So what, what the word of life is, is in this new covenant, how sin is dealt with, how the, the shortcomings and the failings in all of us is dealt with. How can we function together? I've tried and tried to teach and preach this for some years now. I've been in churches since I was 19, okay? I've been serving in church planting and preaching and teaching for a long, long time. And I'm here to tell you that Christians have trouble understanding the issue of working with each other and my fellow sinner. How do I work with my fellow sinner? I've seen Christian families, Christian marriages fall apart because they don't understand how do I do this forgiveness thing? How do I go the extra mile, turn the other cheek, give myself, pour myself out so that my family can be blessed, so that my church can be blessed, so that my relationships can be blessed? Because everything that the Bible teaches is counterintuitive to what we think it ought to be. Jesus said, if you want to save your life, what did he say? You need to lose your life. If you want to gain, if you want to lose your life for my sake, then you'll gain your life. That's counterintuitive. It goes against human nature. We think, oh, no, because we're born with this nature that says it's about me. It's what I need. All, all of our life is about me, 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 me. And from the time you're born, wah, wah, give me milk, give me milk, to the time you die. It's all about me, right? And, and that's our human nature. But God is saying, look. I allowed that to happen in humanity so that humanity could learn something. You must turn from that and you must become like this. You must become like my son. You need to give yourself and sacrifice. You need to pick up your cross, carry it, lay it down, sacrifice yourself out, pour yourself out for other people. In doing so, great blessings occur. If we, it says in uh, the next verse, he purifies us from all sin. So we get to function in this new covenant. Did you know that in eternity... That Jesus Christ is, and our existence there isn't that we're going to be perfect and sinless. We're only going to be there because of his perfection and sinlessness. That's why John says that in eternity, in Revelation, when he saw Jesus, he saw him as a lamb who was slain. He displays to us his hands and his feet. And we are all there cognizant of the fact that we're there, not because we deserve to be there, but because he brought us there. 
and he poured himself out, and that's why we're there. When it pictures the church in Revelation after the opening of the sixth seal, it says, I beheld a great multitude with white robes and palm branches in their hands, and they sang a new song, and they said, You are worthy because you purchased us with your blood. And that's the declaration in Revelation time and again. We're only here because of you. Creation and everything in it, the, the universe, everything is reconciled because of what he did on the cross. When I say that the cross is the pivot point of eternity, I am not joking. It is the pivot point by God of all eternity. Everything will be addressed by what Jesus did on the cross. All things will be made new. All things are being, it says in Colossians, were reconciled by the blood of his cross. All things, that means things seen and things unseen. Things in heaven and things on earth. Humans, animals, plants, stars, everything. It's all going to be dealt with because of what he did on the cross. You say, well, when's you going to do it? He did it. It's already been done. And when you and I step into eternity, and we all will very soon. You say, well, soon. I don't want to go too soon. You're going to go really soon. I mean, relatively speaking, we will all be in eternity in a snap. Because if you compare our lifetime to forever, our lifetime looks like a dot on a line of time. Eternity is a long, long, long time. That's why you have to get it right now. You have to get it right. So he is faithful and he is just and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from unrighteousness, all unrighteousness. I, I didn't get that correct. It should say unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we're calling him a liar. And his word has no place in our lives. So what is the Bible saying? What did John and the apostles find out? They found out that what the Bible declares about us, the prognosis of on high about humanity is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So any man or woman who has ever been declared to be righteous from Abraham to Moses to David to anyone, who, to the apostles, to Peter, to John, in order to be declared righteous, they agree with what God says. Okay, God. Tell me, the, tell me the bad news. The bad news is, Houston, we have a problem. Jimmy, you're full of sin, and if you stay in that sin, you will die in your sin. That's what Jesus said to some of the people in his day. If you do not believe I am the one I say I am, then you will die in your sin. If you die in your sin, then there is no hope for you at all, because your sin will have been unpaid for. Say, well, what can I do to pay for my sin? Nothing. There's nothing you can do. I go to church more. I'll read the Bible more. I'll pray more. I'll be more religious. I'll turn a new leaf. I'll give to AIDS. I'll start an orphanage. I'll help the hurricane victims. I'll, I'll, I'll. Nothing that you can do is good enough to rectify the sin that you have between you and the Almighty God. So, well, that sounds really depressing. Well, it is. Read Revelation when it says that John the Apostle saw him who sat on the throne, and he had a scroll, and it was rolled up. It had seven seals on it. It's the last will and testament of God. And he says they looked in heaven and they looked on earth and they looked under the earth and they could find no one worthy to take the scroll and to open it. And John the Apostle says, and I cried and I cried because no one was worthy. And that means even him. And then it says, don't cry. Behold, the, the lion of the king of Judah, the lamb, he is worthy. And so he takes the scroll and he begins to open up the final last will and testament of God about all creation. And all of the answers to everything is there. But most people argue with this and they say, no, I don't like, I don't like what the way God's doing it. He's not doing it right. And so they just say, nah. So they, don't, they walk in darkness. They have, the word of God has no place in their life. 
I don't believe the Bible. I don't believe that stuff. Yeah, right. Who needs that Christianity stuff? It's just a bunch of white guys. Wrong. The Jewish guys weren't white guys. Okay, just so that you know. They were Jewish. They were Middle Eastern. Okay. Uh, Jesus probably had darker skin. He probably had black hair, not blonde, blue eyes. I mean, I'm not knocking blonde and blue eyes. Okay, I like that too. Okay. God loves diversity, but remember... It's not about a race thing. That's the devil again. What is he doing with all this racial baiting that's going on and causing us to fight? It's him. It's always him. It's the enemy. What does he do? He pits people against each other. He pits us against God and God against us. He tries to divide us and make us think that, you know, so-and-so, they dominated me, so I need to fight against them, and so-and-so this, and so-and-so that. It's like, wait, stop, stop. Get at peace and get peace with God, and then start being peaceful with your fellow man. Be like Jesus. Bring peace, bring reconciliation, stop bringing all of this fighting and fomenting and, and uh, racial profiling and this and that. Yeah, but what if it really has happened? Well, it happens. Jesus said, if they hated me, they'll hate you. You're going to live like Jesus. You'll find out what real profiling is. The word of life addresses sin in our lives. So what does the word of life do? It deals with the real issue. Because the real issue in, in the world is not that there's evil out there, is it? What's the real issue? There's evil in here. That's the real issue. Because what I see going on out there is because of all of the sin in all of them too. That's why there's all this bad stuff. Yeah, but what about hurricanes? That has nothing to do with humans. No. Or does it? You don't know the scriptures well, do you? Did you know that the Bible said that God determines to send calamities at times to wake people up? To cause them to fall on their knees and to cry out to Him? He uses all things in life. Life and death and sickness and health and success and failure, he uses them all to orchestrate a bringing of souls to him. Say, so I don't like that. If I was God, I would do it different, would you? You wouldn't do anything different because you wouldn't know what to do if you were God. Because God knows all things. He's the only one that can do what God can do. No one else can do it. So we need to stop fighting with him, struggling with him, wrestling with our maker and say, okay, God, you know what to do. Can you show me? So here's what he does. My dear children, I write this to you so that you won't sin. What is the Apostle John saying? That when you turn to Christ and you believe in God, that you're just going to be, poof, halo on your head, no more sin. You're just good to go. Not at all, because in reality, I turned to Christ when I was 19. I knew of Christ and God all the way back to when I was born, because we were raised Catholic. I knew of God and angels and heaven. But I didn't know him personally till I hit 19. I asked him to come into my heart. I knew that he had come into my heart. I, I sensed that there was a presence in my life that was not me. And I began the process of growing and changing. And you know how that happened? I went to church. I went to Bible study. I listened to Bible studies. Back then it was just radio. There was no social media. It was the only social media, radio and TV. So I was always in meetings, listening, listening, listening. I did a memorial service for Paul K. Connor, who passed away. He was an AA for 29 years sober. And uh, all of these different AA guys came up and talked about him. He was 85 when he died. And they said that uh, they all went to meetings back. They started when they were in their 30s, when they started realizing, I got a problem. I got to do something. You know, they're drinking their brains out. And he goes, they started going to AA meetings. And all of them said the same thing. I must have gone to hundreds of meetings with him. I go, hundreds? Hundreds? Man, I wish I could get Christians to go to hundreds of church services. You know, I'm lucky if I get them here, you know, twice a month. 
Listen, if you want to grow, if you want to change, you need to avail yourself more and more and more to this fellowship that you're being invited to. You need to be in the word. You need to be in fellowship with Christians, with like-minded, who love God, who worship God. You need to be around the teaching of the Lord. They said, I, when I asked them about this after the memorial, I said, what is, what is this thing about hundreds of meetings? He goes, well, there's a morning, an evening, an after, a, a, a late night, and an afternoon meeting all the time. Why? Because they meet, they encourage each other, they help each other. When somebody feels weak, they call each other, they sponsor each other. And they have a saying, and you know what the saying is? Anyone from AA, do you know what the saying is? Meeting makers make it. Meeting makers make it. Meaning if you commit yourself to go and to be there, and when those moments of weakness come, you say, I need help. You call the guy up, hey, please help me. They'll, they'll meet with each other and they make it. They get sobriety. Now that's just concerning substance abuse. What about eternal things? What about like the apostles? They met with Jesus daily. They lived with him. They ate with him. They slept with him. He taught them. He, he inculcated into them and invested into them everything that he could before he left. Now, that fellowship is what we're being invited to. John says in the chapter 1, we have a fellowship, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. So you and I are being invited into an eternal meeting to be with God and to see him face to face and to know what he's really like, that he's not what everybody says he's like. He's not a mean ogre waiting to get you when he gets you into eternity. Now I got you, Jimmy. Okay, come over here. Look at all the bad stuff you did. Pulls the list out, right? One of the men that spoke at Kay Connor's funeral said that they have a sponsorship program in which you first come in and you say, I need a sponsor, I need somebody to help me. And you call up this sponsor and he chose Kay. And uh, he says, I went to his house and, and I sat down and I was so nervous because I'm supposed to tell him everything about myself and all of the problems I'm having with drinking and life and, and marriage and friendship and everything. And I felt really, really embarrassed because I'd never told any living soul all of the stuff I'd ever done wrong and I told him everything. And I felt really nervous. I thought he was going to call the cops on me because <laughs> of all this stuff. He says, I'd never told anybody. And he goes, and Kay got up. He, he, this was back years ago. Kay got up. He goes, went across the room, and I thought he was going to grab me and handcuff me. He goes, and he threw his arms around me and gave me a hug. And that moved me because I think that when Christians fail, we, we pounce on them and we hammer them. And that's wrong. We need to help each other. We need to hug on each other. I mean, God is that way. When you come into relationship with him, he's not, he knows that you're not going to be perfect in the doing of the thing. He knows that there's going to be stumblings and failings. You think he hasn't accounted for that already? That's why the Bible says that he, Jesus, died since before the foundations of the world. He knew we would be failures. He knew we would sin. He knew we would hit our head on the wall. He knew we would hurt ourselves. He knew there was going to be a Nazi Germany. He knew there was going to be world wars. He knew there was going to be Hurricane Harvey. He knew there was going to be earthquakes and political upheavals and people getting mad at each other. He knew there was going to be human slavery and sex trade and all of that horrible stuff that goes on in this world. Drug addiction, alcoholism, lying, cheating, backstabbing, betrayals, all of the things that if we spent our time, we could just delineate. He knew. He anticipated it. And he said, look, I've dealt with it. I've paid for those sins. And through the cross, you can come to me now. And through the cross, I can forgive it all, and I can make you whole, and we can have a relationship. We can hang out for forever. That's amazing. That's unlike anything that people think God is. 
that he just wants to be with you and he wants you to be with him. Isn't that fun? Isn't it going to be fun to just be with God? You know, they talk about going to heaven and I, me and my wife used to say, I want to go see Jesus. And now I want to see my son. I want to see my dad. I want to see my sister. I want to see the people that are now on that side. And I can only do that through him. He's the only one that promises an eternal reunion. Do you want to fight with the one that can resurrect your loved one and let you see them again and never be separated from them? When he says no more death, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more sin, no more demons, no more any of this stuff that we experience here. Do you want to fight with him about that? That's what I want. I don't want to fight with a guy who's got the answer. Maybe I don't understand everything he's doing or why he's doing it, but I know he's going to do it all right. It says, Jesus said this to the disciples, at the renewal of all things, you will sit with me on 12 thrones and you will judge the tribes of Israel. What's the renewal of all things? When everything is made right, when all of the answers are evident, when we all say, amen, God, you were not wrong. You did everything right. Wouldn't that be heaven? When finally people stop criticizing at God and spitting at God and shaking their fists at God, won't that be heaven? That'll be heaven. Because finally, we'll be in a place where everybody will be in agreement. God, there is no darkness in you at all. God, you are light. And we're glad to be here with you. So it says, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. That's an amazing statement. There's a theological debate that has been going on for hundreds of years about this. But suffice it to say this. Listen. Jesus died on the cross, and everybody that has ever lived has the opportunity to avail themselves to what he has done for them. He allows you to choose that. You can choose not to. He even allows you not to choose him. But that's to your own peril, to not choose the answer to your issue. You can say to the doc when he tells you you got cancer, I don't care. Okay. Or you can say, doc, what can I do? And the doc will say, well, you got to do this. You got to do this. And you might live. If you agree with God and you say, okay, doc, Dr. God, you say I've got an eternal sickness. What do I do? He says, well, there's a cross over there. I sent my son. I became human and I died for you. I can take the poison out of you, but you've got to go through the cross. I'll take the poison out of you without killing you because I killed my son to get rid of the sin that's in you. Let him die for you and you can live. You'd be a fool to turn that down. Relationship to the word of life to the word of life transforms us to Christ's likeness. It doesn't happen right instantaneously. It does and it doesn't. It does in this respect. When the thief on the cross said to Jesus Christ, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, tonight you'll be with me in paradise. That happened instantaneously. All he's looking for is for you to finally accept and admit that you have a need, just like in the first step of the 12 steps. I admit it that I'm powerless against this thing and I've got to have help from outside myself. That's the first step in the 12-step program. You got a drinking problem, a drug problem, or whatever problem, you've got to admit you've got that problem first because if you don't admit it, there's no hope for you. If you don't realize that you got to do something about it, then you're in trouble, worse trouble than, than the actual problem. When you finally realize, man, I've got a problem, then you can start the process towards dealing with it. Now, Justification happens when we realize it's like the thief on the cross. If he would have been able to get off the cross and, and be commuted in his sentence and live, he, he would have to then begin the process like all of us of, okay, 
he told me that he'll accept me now, so now I got to live for him. I can't be a thief anymore. I better not get nailed on a cross again. You see, it's called the process of sanctification. Justification happens when you say to Jesus, I need what you did for me. And then he, he declares you just as if you had not sinned justification, just as if you had never sinned. He exchanges his righteousness. Jesus, the righteous one, dies for us. And he takes your sin into his account, and he puts his account into yours. It's not an even exchange at all. He takes all of the blame, and you get none of it. You say, well, that doesn't sound fair. You're right. It's not fair. It's not fair to God. But God's able to take all of our sin and bury it in the grave and, and give us a new life. That's why you need him so much. You need him. So it says this. We know we have come to know him if we obey his commands. A man who says, I know him. Everybody claims, I know God. I love God. I follow God. But doesn't do what he commands is a liar. The truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is made complete in him. This is how you know you're in him. If you claim to live in him, you must be like him. You must walk like he did. Well, what was Jesus like? You've got to become Christ-like. That means you have to begin the process of saying no to me and yes to his will. Not my will, but thy will. Well, what is thy will, God? Thy will is that I get on a cross and pour my life out for the benefit of others. We think, and we've been told, and we continue to be told by the world and the system of the world, that, the, that life is about what you can do for you. And you succeed in you, 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 me, 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 all the way. And God says it's not that at all. True life and true blessing is pouring yourself out, giving yourself up for others. In giving, there's more than getting. It's a secret that's amazing. And if you get that secret down, you will just be blessed beyond your wildest dreams. The word of life reveals an eternal instruction. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command. I'm not telling you something that's new. This is an old eternal instruction. This is God's nature. This is what God himself does. He gives himself so that there can be a creation. He sustains the whole creation, the Bible says, by the power of his word. They say that molecules and atoms hold together by a power that they don't know what it is. It's not electric. It's not magnetic. It's, the Bible says it's his word holding all things together. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, an old one, which you've heard since the beginning. In the beginning, God, the Bible says in Genesis, in the beginning, the word of God, John the Apostle said, what is the beginning? What is God really like? He is a God who is self-giving, self-sacrificing. He wants us to have life. He gives, he gives, he gives. The Bible says he gives blessings to people that don't even acknowledge him. He sends rain and happiness and joy into the hearts and lives of people that say that there is no God. Are there atheists that you know? God is giving them life and breath and everything else, and they don't even know it, and they don't even acknowledge it, because that is the nature of God that he gives to people that don't even give back to him. Can you and I be that way? Not without his help, you can't, because most of us are conditional on our love. I'll be nice to you if you be nice to me, said Gollum to Frodo and Sam in The Lord of the Rings. I'll be nice to you if you be nice to me. That's our nature. But God's nature is, I'll be nice to you even if you never acknowledge me. I'll give to you and I'll sacrifice for you even though you don't say yes to me ever. Even if you say no to me in eternity, I'll still have always loved you. I've often thought that when Jesus was on earth and he drove demons out of people and they said who they were, we are legion. I've often thought that Jesus, who created the angels, knew these demons before they became demons. He had created them as angels, not as demons. They became demons when they rejected him. 
the sad thing in a way. I think he loved him. I think he loved Judas. I think Jesus loved Judas because I was just reading that he was perturbed in his heart and his soul. One of you is going to betray me. Again, this is going to happen. Somebody that I love, somebody that I called into relationship with myself, somebody who shared my ministry, my bread, he's going to betray me. It's a sad thing when we betray God and when we betray each other because in doing so, we betray our own selves. I'm writing you a new command. It's truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is shining. Well, what is the darkness that is passing? The darkness of the confusion about who and what God is, that God is love, that there's no darkness in him. He wants fellowship. This is the, the light that we will have for forever and ever. We'll never be subjected again to this, this aspersions that the devil cast into the minds of Adam and Eve that God wants you to not eat that fruit because he's insecure. He wants you to not eat that fruit because he's afraid if you eat it, you'll be like him. You'll become God like him. And he's afraid of you. We're not going to be that way in eternity. In eternity, we're going to be like, you're God. We're not. We're so glad you made us and we're glad to be in relationship with you. And it's going to be that way for forever. That's the true light. It's already shining. That's what he meant. It's already shining. They had come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. They had seen the Shekinah glory of God through Jesus Christ. They were experiencing it. John was an old man getting ready to step into eternity. He knew that that's where he was going. I was able to share with Mary Garcia right here about her son because in some religious circles they teach that you just go to sleep and then you wake up at the end. And I said, did you know the Bible says that as soon as you die, you are absent from the body but present with the Lord? If you believe in the Lord, that he takes your disembodied spirit and that disembodied spirit who is you is with him. And that when he returns, it says in Thessalonians, he will bring them back with him and he will issue forth a command and their dead bodies, whether they be dust in the earth or ashes, he will issue a command and there will be a resurrection of their dead body. And Jesus will take their spirit and reunite it with a body that is now alive again, that will never die again and never get sick again and never be subject to substance abuse or anything like that again. And they'll live forever. And there'll be no more sickness or pain or death or sorrow. That's what he promises. I am writing you a new command. It's seen in him and it's seen in you. It's the true light shining. My command is this. Where did Jesus get it? Where did John get it? He got it from Jesus. He hung out with Jesus. He fellowshiped with Jesus. He spent time in meetings with Jesus all the time. Hi, I'm Jimmy. I'm a sinner. Hi, I'm Jimmy. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, I'm John. I'm a sinner. I need Jesus. I mean, that's our meeting when we come together with him. Here's what he told them in their meeting. This was the upper room after Judas had left, after they had eaten the Last Supper. My command is this, he tells his disciples. I'm about ready to check out of here. And this is what I'm telling you. This is what I really want you to do. Love each other as I have loved you. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. The Ten Commandments is a list of do's and don'ts. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, right? But did you know that Jesus taught and the Apostle Paul taught and the other apostles taught after they had encountered him that when you do this, you love one another the way Christ loved, that you actually fulfill everything that the old covenant required? Everything from Genesis all the way to the Gospel of Matthew is fulfilled when you behave this way? You don't have to worry about keeping the little nitpicking parts of the law. You just love people. Because if you love them, you won't covet from them. You won't steal from them. You won't betray them. You won't murder them. You won't hate them. If you fulfill the law that way by loving, you will fulfill everything that God requires. 
And here's the answer. Here's the kind of love. It's called agape. It's a Greek word. And that Greek word was coined by Jesus himself. Agape means sacrifice love. It means get on the cross and give yourself up for somebody else's benefit love. That's the kind of love he's talking about here. He's not talking about you love humanity like everybody else says they love humanity. It means I give myself for people that don't even deserve it. I give myself in service to humanity even if they never recognize me and they never give me a Nobel Prize and they never see that I was there to bless them and pray for them and help them. When we get into eternity, we're going to see people that nobody ever noticed, but God did. He, saw, he did this when he was here on earth. He saw people that nobody saw. He would stop the whole procession. Stop. We'll call that guy. What guy? The guy in the tree. What tree? That guy up there. The tax collector? You want to talk to that guy? Or the woman who was the sinner or the leper that nobody wanted to touch? Jesus always noticed people that nobody noticed. So just because the world doesn't notice you, just because you have no fame or fortune or, or notoriety from the worldly perspective, don't worry. There is a God. He knows where you're at. He knows who you are. He knows everything that you have done or not done. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants. A servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. Everything I learned from my father, I made known to you. You did not choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to bear fruit, fruit that will last, fruit that goes on forever. This is a forever instruction. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Here it is. Again, John the apostle said it's, not a, it's a new one, but it's an old one. It's old because it's eternal. The father and the son did this since eternity. Jesus said in his high priestly prayer right before he went to the cross in John 17, Return to me, Father, the glory I had with you since before the creation of the world. So before God ever created anything, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit had an eternal relationship of self-sacrifice with each other. Jesus said, You love me with the same love that I showed them. That means that the Father was showing sacrificial love to the Son. I was flummoxed when I read that. I said, wait, Jesus did all the dying, not the Father. But the Bible says that the Father showed the Son agape love. And the Son came and showed it to us. And so what is God showing us about himself? That I'm willing to die for you and to take away all of your failure so that you can have relationship with me. That's called agape love. That's what God is like. He is not an ogre. He is not some kind of God who wants to judge you and throw you into hell. Says, but the Bible says people will be thrown into hell. Granted, it does say that. But it won't be because God is hateful. It won't be because God is mean. It will be because people will not want anything to do with a God who showed them all of the love that he could show them. That's why. It's not because of God. It's because of us. It's not God's fault that people end up eternally separated from him. He has declared in his Bible, everywhere in his Bible, come, come, come and see, come and check me out, taste the Lord, see that I am good, come, come into my presence, come and be with me, I'll forgive you, I'll love you, I'll take you into eternity. And people say, no, 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 there is no God, bye, bye, get out of here. What can he do with that? He can't force that into his heaven, can he? It wouldn't be heaven if he let this chaos and this mayhem in this world if he led it into heaven would it be heaven it would not be it would be hell hell on earth or hell in heaven sounds like a misnomer right 
Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he's the one who loves me. If you say you love God, then you need to act like Jesus. You need to be sacrificial. You need to pour out your life, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, be patient, be kind, be loving, be forgiving. Yeah, but they might abuse me. Did Jesus get abused? Oh, yes. He was abused to the point of death. Jesus said in Revelation, Be faithful unto me unto the death, and I will give to you the crown of life. Oh, but if I give my life, they'll just take advantage of me. Are you living for the world or are you living for God? God is the one who sees what you do or do not do. If anyone loved me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him. And look, here's the, here's the, here's the reward of living this way. What's the reward of living this way, of giving myself up and sacrificing my life in service to people? What is it? What do I get back from it? I'm not going to get any notoriety. They're not going to appreciate me. But here it is. Here's the reward. We will come to him and make our home with him. Now, ladies, please don't think it means just him. In the Greek, the word, the, the male pronoun him means anthropos, men or women. If you live this way, God is saying, Jesus is saying, me and the Father and the Holy Spirit will come and we'll tabernacle with you. We'll hang out with you. We'll live in you. These words are not my own. I didn't make these up. They belong to my Father who sent me. This is what the message from eternity is. God wants relationship with you. And the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you this and remind you of everything I'm saying to you. So what is it that God wants from us? Relationship. And how does that relationship happen? Through what Jesus did on the cross. And then after that, what happens? You and I need to live that way for the rest of our lives. Yeah, but get rid of the yeah, buts. It's a disease. Okay, a yeah, but disease, I call it. Let's stand. Lord Jesus, I pray for your people. I pray that you would help them to live for you. I pray that you would help them to understand what you're trying to do. You're calling us into relationship with an eternal God. Yes, there is sin. Yes, there is failure. But you have already dealt with it all. If we would simply avail ourselves to it. It is the cross. It is the pivot point of eternity. And when we go to eternity, it'll be the cross that we will look back to. It'll be the sacrificed lamb who stands in the center of the throne that John saw, whom we will know brought us there. So help us, Lord, to avail ourselves to that now. If we're having trouble in our relationships with each other now, we pray that the cross of Jesus might come into this relationships on earth that you would reconcile us in our relationships here on earth, that you would not let the devil continue to do what he does best, separate us, cause us to be at odds with each other and at odds with you. In Jesus' name, Lord, I pray that you would cause people to be reconciled to you and to each other, even to those that don't believe. Help us to seek out reconciliation, Lord, and forgiveness, and to live outside of hatred, and instead to live in love like you asked us to do. To live in agape, sacrificing, laying down my life, love like Jesus. I can't do it on my own, Lord, because I am like Adam. I think about me first. But to be like you is what we ask for. May the grace of God be given to us to have the grace of Jesus in our lives. That we may say no to self and yes to Jesus. Deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow him and lay down our lives and lose our life for your sake so that we may gain our life for forever. These prayers and these words, Lord, they're just 
words, but we know that they come from you. These aren't mine. I didn't make them up. They're in the Bible. I just know that this is the answer, and I pray that if anyone here is struggling with this concept, that you would remove all confusion from their mind and help them to hear the word of Jesus Christ. I love you. I died for you. I gave my life for you. I shed my blood for you, all so that I could have relationship with you. Do you want it? It's there for you. Please avail yourself to it. Amen.